Hello, and welcome to 8,000 Promises, a podcast dedicated to conversations about living into God's promises for your life, even when the story of your past might make those promises hard to trust. I'm your host, A.D. Tilford. Together, let's explore how to step into, embrace, and believe God's promises for our lives. My beautiful and caring guest today is Andi Mejia. She is an associate pastor in the Foursquare Church and the writer of a blog and an almost finished book. Andi's passionate about passion, longing and callings and working hard all for the glory of God. In this episode of 8,000 Promises, Andi and I chat about writing a book and saying yes to the small things and then watching how they add up to make much bigger yeses for God. We also chat about how the church and the people that make up God's church have a distinct call to love others and point them to Jesus, not to fix or cover up the hardest parts. Andi's pre-pandemic blog post, Caring for Those with Mental Illness, Just Love, and her experience walking through crisis with the survivors of the campfire in Paradise, California, led us to a discussion of how the church can become a more trauma-informed place. Listen in as we wrestle with how to love others well. Then put to use Andy's practical tips for how to look for and act on the little yeses in both your passionate pursuits and in loving others well. Thanks for being here. Oh, hi, Andy. How are you today? Good. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. I am so excited to spend some time chatting with you about... Jesus and writing and um, all the cool things that are going on and, and the journey it's been of getting to know each other in this last year. So thank you for being here. Thank you for inviting me. <laughs> of course. So it's almost been a year since we met that first early morning in, um, <laughs> in the summer of 2021. Um, we both were accepted into the Lisa Turkerst boot camp to write a book proposal. And we picked the same writing coach, Tracy Miles. We'll give her a little shout out. Hey, Tracy. <laughs> um, and I think, I think we both picked her for different reasons. Uh, if I remember, you wanted that time of day. That Super early in the morning, yes. <laughs> yes, like when it was still dark out. And I had read some of her different book histories and I thought, oh, she's, I want to have her feedback. So it was one of those things where we see how God can have all different pathways to get us into the same spot, but it's been a really cool year of getting to not only have that experience in the boot camp, but to continue in a relationship with you and a couple of the other girls from the group and helping us grow as writers. So would you just take a few minutes since our guests are going to be new to you or many of our listeners will be new to you, but some of them are probably your friends listening in. So thanks (laughs) you're listening in and you know, and love Andy. Why don't you share a little bit about your story, your call to ministry and some of what God is calling you to work on through your writing. So I think the way that I like to frame a call to ministry, because that sounds like a really big, scary thing to some people. And I like to think of it as like a lot of little small yeses that led to a really big yes to saying yes to God and becoming a licensed pastor and 
deciding to write a book even. I grew up as a pastor's kid and then went to college and ran at Chico State as a collegiate athlete, started an FCA ministry with my now husband. So just a lot of little like, I'm gonna start a Bible study on the cross country team. And there's like three people there. So it's a very small yes, but that just led to being able to say yes to leading small groups at my church. I was the children's ministry director for a hot second. And so now just like when our pastor asked us to become licensed in the Foursquare church, we were like, I'm not really sure how to say no to that. Like that's the natural next step. So I just think taking those next steps and continually trying to grow and follow what Jesus is asking us is just how I got to where I am in ministry. And then for writing, it was more deliberate by God, I feel like, more in my face. I'm just hearing some sermons from our pastor about following big dreams. And I still was like, no, thanks. And then my grandma, who's, I think she's 84 this year, just started calling me and being like, you need to start writing again. And I was like, no, that's, she's just old. <laughs> it's oh, fine. I, I don't need to do that. <laughs> I love and that I your grandma was part of that. That's so great. You need to write. So, I know. Uh, and then just going to a women's retreat and having the, the woman who was speaking, talk about following your dreams. And I was like, okay, God, fine. Like I'll start a blog. That's easy. That's small. I can do that. And then entering the book proposal boot camp on a whim, like I saw the thing and I was like, sure, I'll enter. Like just typed in an application real quick. And yeah, so that was a big yes. And now I'm writing a book and that's pretty cool. So small yeses lead to bigger yeses because then those big yeses don't seem as big. It sounds so encouraging when you break it down like that. And one of the things that I really appreciate about you is that you also just break down the small step, this large idea of writing a book into smaller steps that are easier to manage. You've actually helped another, like the other girls and I with some ideas of like a bubble word count sheet <laughs> where you show, Hey, I can make this, this goal, but I can just do it a little bit at a time. And for something that feels sort of large and looming, it's really helpful to see that we can achieve just through those little yeses, like you said. Mm -hmm. And I know that's a lot of what you're writing about. I get the privilege of getting to read some of your writing as you're working on it. Will you tell us a little bit more about the idea for the book on your heart and your vision for where it's going? You're almost done. She's awesome, you guys. <laughs> She is just pressing on and you're going to see a book published by Andy very soon. I'm certain of it. That's the goal. I, so just coming from the background of being an athlete, I feel like, and a perfectionist, like getting straight A's all through school and in college and like, just really working hard, like made me really feel like I needed to achieve in the world. And then just coming to the point of like, wait a minute. I'm a teacher at a high school. I'm running all the time, but how is this glorifying God? And I think just in talking with friends who are high achievers in high spaces, like, you know, accountants or triathletes or people that are working really hard in things that don't necessarily look like traditional ministry, it can feel like this doesn't matter. But mm -hmm. I think if when we use our passions and the things that like God literally put in us, like he created me to be a runner. 
So like for me to waste that and say like, oh, that's not of God. So I'm not going to use it for God. It's just kind of silly. So I think in the book, I'm trying to just point people towards a way to connect what they're doing on earth and their passions and the things they're working really hard for connecting those things to God and really focusing on the purpose beyond the goals that we make on earth and just using it all to glorify God. Cause it does, if we're, you know, primarily looking at him first. So, yeah. Oh yeah. It makes me think I read a section this morning from Ruth Haley Barton's sacred rhythms. That's some book our church is reading this summer. And she walked us through Psalm 139, which is a Psalm that's really near and dear to my heart. But she asked us to think about how we were created in God's image. And then also how he intentionally created us in the womb and knit us together. And then she asked us to think about celebrating how we were made and who we were made to be. And I hear that in what you are putting into the world, that this is about celebrating this design that God intentionally made each person with these gifts, these longings, these talents, and that sure, any of that stuff can be used or manipulated or or misused in any kind of way, but it can also be used to glorify God and that that design was on purpose. And that is just a really life-giving message that, that we can really lift up into the world. So thank you for doing that. <laughs> yeah. And I think we underestimate to the power of Christians being in charge of things. Like for me, like I see, like there's a principal at the school near us who goes to our church and it's like, He's able to do so much for the kingdom of God because he's the principal. And mm -hmm. so he had to get his admin credential. He had to like really work hard to get to that place, but he's able to do a lot more than like a teacher in a classroom, not to say that they're not doing enough, but like, if you have those passions in your hearts to really go the distance and go really far in what your passions are, then God's going to use it. And like, we need people as CEOs, we need people as government officials, like we need you to work hard so that God's presence is in those places too. So there's that mm. part too. <laughs> yeah, I appreciate that piece because sometimes it can feel that, or there can be questions that rise up like, am I, is it my ego that I want this to be bigger? Or is it mm -hmm. that this message needs to reach farther places, you know, and that is, those are the questions we do have to wrestle with. And I think those are questions we have to take to God because sometimes it's us <laughs> wanting to be big. And sometimes right. it's God saying, we need that message in this space. And the only way it's right. going there is for you to, to be educated or to have this skill set. And you're only going to get that if you persevere and, and achieve some things. So this season of 8,000 Promises is really about looking at what, how we, what things we've learned and how that learning is impacting how we live and then what we launch into the world. So you're sharing a bit about that with your book. What are some of the greatest learning experiences that you've found yourself in over the last few years of life? I think 
Well, becoming a pastor has been huge. We have a pastoral team at our church. So my husband and I are in it. And then our lead pastor and our associate pastor and some other pastoral team members. So I'm not like the lead pastor of a church, but it's still, you know, our church is growing and our pastor kind of realized that he needed more people caring for his like flock. (laughs) So, and I watched my dad pastor over the years. Mm -hmm. And I think that is kind of informing the way that I do it, like that we just need to love people. And that's like the bigger picture of, well, it is the picture of what Jesus wants us to do. And so I think in the past year, as I interact with people in the church and outside the church, I'm just realizing that like, I thought pastoring was like guiding people and it is in a sense, but it's more like, you're just trying to point them to Jesus because they're not going to listen to me and my thoughts and my opinions, but like, they are going to hear Jesus and that's who we want them to hear anyway. So I think I used to, I told my friend this analogy the other day. I was like, I think I used to think that being a pastor was like being the bumpers in a bowling alley and you're like guiding the person to like the strike in heaven. But what I'm realizing is it's more like, we're just like a big flashing sign, like Jesus, you need Jesus. Jesus is the only way. And we can't, (laughs) we can't like force them into this place, but we can show them Jesus. And that's like, yeah, that's what I've been learning. (laughs) You're like the, after the strike gets hit. Jesus, like that's the story. Yeah, Jesus is the reason. Yeah. Right. Oh, I love that. I appreciate that analogy because it is even even as a writer and not a minister, even as a teacher, it's sometimes you forget that it's really not your job to do any direction as far as like that physicality or hey, this is the way, even though it feels like that. It's about saying look at this, like, this is it. So being that light, being the city on the hill, that, that flashing sign. I appreciate that. It's nice. So when you, as you've been learning this and you see how it's like impacting how you live, what's been challenging about living into that piece of like, I'm just going to be someone who points you in the direction rather than pushes you in the direction and what's been what's felt pretty natural and easy well I'm a two on the Enneagram so helping people is pretty natural and easy (laughs) so I think the part of loving people where I'm like I'll bring you a meal or I'll watch your kids for you or things like that have been easy but it's been I think the challenging part is not not so much judging but like thinking like it would be so much easier if you would just do it this way but like, mm. oh, just do it this way. But like, that's not my job. Like people are going to do things their own way and it works for them or it doesn't, but it's not my job to tell them how to do their life. That's God's job and he can do that. And I just need to trust like that the Holy Spirit will move them when they need to move. <laughs> mm, that is hard. I think that, I wonder if that's some of the one uh, wing. <laughs> I feel like that's a, that reformer piece of like, if I could just pick it, I have that. I'm a, I'm a seven on the Enneagram. So I have a lot of energy and excitement going on. But when I get into those stress settings, I do that same thing of like the why. And even a lot of times, like, why can't I just do it this way? You know, right. and just remember just do it right. <sighs> oh, at church on Sunday, my pastor, I really appreciated this. He was talking about these cycles we get into our, we get into of like, okay, I messed that up. I'm going to do it better this time. I'm going to, so you learn how to do it. 
and then you get it right and then you fail. And so then you try harder and it's this cycle. And he, he just encouraged us to think about letting the spirit do the work, like, like let God do the work instead of us thinking we have to keep striving and doing it better ourselves, but really opening up and letting God be the one to move us, to create that transformation. I thought I really needed that reminder that I can work hard, hard, hard. Which I also really like about your book idea because it's about working hard, but it's about doing this with God rather than just working hard on your own accord, but like recognizing God has designed in you. And I appreciate that because I remember wrestling like, wait a minute, Andy, I'm wrestling with this idea, but the way you always present it is it's so Jesus centered and how God is going to use these gifts you were designed with. Mm -hmm. I love that. Thanks. And I also appreciate that you love helping people. Twos, <laughs> twos are wonderful gifts to this world. Thanks. You're helping me on this, but hopefully it's also helping for you to, to do this. Of course, always. <laughs> so that will move into one of the things that we've talked about a little bit, not on the podcast, but in our friendship. And you shared a, a blog post with me that you had written, and we'll make sure to link that in the show notes. So if people want to look at that, but they can just regarding our call as Christians to love those people in our world living with mental illness. And we know that adverse childhood experiences are not the only cause of mental illness, but we also know that adverse childhood experiences can highly increase risk for developing mental illness. And we can also see how the Christian church really should be thinking about how to love people who walk in the doors with hard stories and before this started, we were kind of talking about how terrifying as a person with a, a hard story, how terrifying it was to speak that out into a Christian setting, because there is just a lot of unknown about how people are going to respond. Knowing, I mean, I don't think I could have done it without God take like really being in the lead of that because culturally it doesn't always feel so safe to bring the hard parts of our stories in front of the people of God. Oh man, that's hard to say. <laughs> oh, that's hard to say, but I think it's true. And so how, when you think about the, the things you've thought about, I know neither of us is completely an expert in any of this, but we've both thought about it a bit. What are some of the, the pieces that God's been moving in your heart about how we can better walk alongside those suffering from mental illness or who have hard stories? Mm -hmm. I think we really have to look at like the way Jesus treated people. There was a lot of people in the Bible that he healed that had what we realize now was kind of probably some sort of mental illness or trauma, like the woman at the well, we know there was trauma there. The man who was demon possessed, like that could, you know, look a different way in today's time. Not that, well, and that even if illness, but <laughs> Well, but, and like, I mean, thinking about if you're possessed by a demon, that's pretty traumatic. Like yeah. how, whatever the context is, mm -hmm. it's pretty heavy. Yeah. And then just even the people he healed of physical ailments that had their mm -hmm. whole lifetime of being, you know, paralyzed or with leprosy or whatever, there's a lot of trauma there. So I think we can look at the way that Jesus loved them and see that he didn't judge them. He didn't ask them to like fix their life before he healed them. He didn't ask them to do anything really. He just said like, 
believe in me, trust in me. Like that was the catalyst to the healing. So I think as a church and what I wrote in my blog is just that before judgment, before fixing, which is the temptation is we just want to fix people is just to love them. And that looks, I mean, it looks in the blog, I write about first Corinthians 13, like that big love verse that everyone reads at their wedding, but just looking through that lens, like, am I being patient? Am I being kind? Am I just annoyed that they can't fix themselves? Like, that's not something that I need to fix. Like that's God's thing. So I think just looking at it through that lens, like we just really have to love them like Jesus did and let him do the healing part of it. But also just that we can't just pray it away. Like, I think that's the temptation too, is like, God is so big and strong and powerful and he can fix you and da da da. But God also created doctors and psychologists and psychiatrists that we can point people towards as a church. And I don't think we can expect everyone in church leadership to get degrees in psychology or anything, but I think just knowing as a church where our limits are and counseling people to that limit and then saying, hey, there is something going on that's deeper than what I can do. And God's bigger than all of it, but he also has created these people who can help you and these resources. And I think going back to the first part that like, if we just love people, that will remove that barrier of shame because they know their love. So they can tell us hard stuff because we've been patient. We've been kind. We've been not holding grudges. We've been not angry and prideful and all those things that can get in the way of someone feeling comfortable sharing. Oh, and it's, it's powerful and it is not easy, right? So we're going to have to be connected to the one true source of love. Mm -hmm. If we actually want to be able to have those qualities, because it is not always easy when someone is in a really difficult place emotionally, mentally, spiritually, it's not always easy to practice those qualities of love. And yet mm -hmm. it's so necessary to, to, well, first of all, normalize that pain is part of the world and that the church is a space right. that we can celebrate and we can also handle pain. It's that both and space. It should be like, we could, we could make it that we could commit to that. And that's, that idea of loving people. And I, I appreciate that practicality of, you know, first Corinthians 13 gives us some real practical ways we can be thinking about, am I doing this in conversations with somebody who it might not be easy to do this with? And if I'm not, what are my next steps? You know? And I also, mm -hmm. I really appreciate to say the church is one spot in a community that has lots of resources to walk alongside people. And I actually, it, when I started sort of working through my story, I actually went to the church first and I used a Stephen minister, which was a lay person of the church trained in how to walk with somebody in a grief setting. And what was interesting is that this woman I met with, she was much older than I was, but she did sit alongside me and listen to me. And she was a friend when I needed it. And what happened was I realized I needed more. And if I wouldn't have had that like safe starting point, I don't know what, what would have happened, but I did have get this gift in that, which is funny. I haven't thought about that for a long time, but it was this safe piece. And ultimately my pastor has walked 
alongside me in a lot of these things too, of just being somebody to listen to my story as God is asking me to talk about it. Uh, Mm -hmm. And he's been a very safe like presence in that Christian setting. And I'm really grateful for that too, because he's, he's not my counselor. I have a separate counselor, but he's been somebody who's held my story and said, yeah, you've got something to share with the world. And that's, that's okay that you have this hard part of your story. Like that doesn't define or make you, and that's been something I needed to hear from the Christian. So we know that walking with people who are in the depths of difficult emotions or spiritual conflict is, it can often be really challenging. It's not easy. That call to love, we make it sound like, oh, just be loved, but it's hard. So we know we need to be in a loving place. We need to be present with people. Our job is not to fix. Our job is not to cover up the hard parts. Because I also think that's a flaw that often happens in institutional settings. Instead of letting light shine, there's just a covering. And we've seen really terrible repercussions from that, even in examples of the church recently. What do you think there that some practical ways are for you and how we apply this theology? How do we love well in hard situations? <laughs> how do we walk with people? Is that yeah, the question? Sure. How do we walk with people? How do we love them well when it's hard to love them? I think there's a lot of grace for yourself and grace for just doing it wrong because we're going to do it wrong because we're not perfect. Mm-hmm. But I think I there's also... <laughs> There's also the admitting of that. And like I kind of alluded to before, recognizing our limitations and pointing people to resources that can um, help them. And also I think just our church has done a really good job of like, we do everything as a team. And so there's a pastoral team and no one's kind of out on their own doing ministry. So there's always some accountability So I think that's huge is having accountability for when you hear hard things to be like, okay, I'm out of my element. Can I ask someone who maybe has some experience or who maybe can point me in the right direction instead of just being like, well, God gave me this person to talk to. So now I have to do it all myself because people will come to leaders. Well, they'll come to anyone really with their hard stories. So we just need to be ready to receive them with like grace and love and just pointing them toward Jesus. Like that's the most important point is like, (laughs) this is not my job to fix. It's not my job to make better. It's Mm. my job to just point towards, we need the Holy spirit. We need Jesus. We need, we're all a little messed up. So whatever your story is might be harder than mine, but it's like, it's all a story and it's all God's story. So we just have to keep pointing back towards that God and Jesus, and then making sure we have the resources for people who do have serious trauma or mental illness that we are just ill-equipped to handle. <laughs> yeah. So we need to be equipped in the place of recognizing when somebody has something bigger than what mm-hmm. we are able to process with them. And we need to be equipped in compassionate care. And we need to recognize what's ours, what's God's, and then point them to the one true source of love. Right. And I think 
part of that too is practical ways to help them. So when someone's struggling, there's nothing wrong with asking if you can cook them dinner one night or mm. take their kids for an hour or tell them there's a really great water park or, you know, like there's ways you can practically help people without trying to fix, but just give them the space and time to heal or to go to the resources that you point them towards. But the church is good at that. They're good at helping, at least, I mean, in my experience. So I think just continuing that vein of like, we can practically help people with our resources, our money, our time, our, you know, books and things that we have and programs, we can help people with those yeah. practically also. So don't yeah, I'm thinking that. about how you, when you just said, it made me think like, okay, somebody is like, okay, I need a counselor. And so ha having somebody in the church who could sit while you make the phone call. Cause sometimes that's a really hard part. In my last episode, I talked with a counselor, Rachel Hunt Elmore, and she really encourages people to think about finding that counselor, knowing if they care about you, but there is a practicality when you're a mom with young kids, how do I even have time for a counselor? So that's another way the church can help. Like you said, Hey, I'll watch your kids while you would do your counseling. And then I'll even give you an extra 30 minutes so that you can go take a walk or sit and get yourself back into mom mode, you know, whatever it might be, but we can offer some things that way. Or if we know a family's in a crisis setting, we don't, we don't even have to know all the details, but we can drop dinner at their door and we can really be thinking about some hands-on love for them. Appreciate that a lot. So when we think about this, this mindset around love and being a model of even, it sounds like this idea of like being a model of a relationship that is present, even when the going gets tough. And I think those are the big elements of trauma-informed care, being able to help provide regulation opportunities. And that's maybe that healing work or finding the right counselor to help you work through the things that are hard being able to provide a healthy relationship counsel or models of healthy relationships, but being able to have that be part of it. And then just being compassionate toward yourself. I, I really appreciate you saying we're not going to get it right. Like have some grace for ourselves. Sometimes we are going to mess this up. We're just people, but God can redeem that too. But so in thinking about that, I have this, this stirring in my heart. I was like, really, I just want to talk with Andy about this, but uh, just about the church becoming a trauma-informed church. And you know, I know your community has gone through some real intense learning around this. And, and would you just share a little bit about what you've thought as, as you've learned through unexpected situations, how to wrap around people as a trauma-informed caregiving church? So I'm from Chico, California, and we are right down the hill from Paradise where the campfire happened. I'm pretty sure it was all over the news when it happened. And previous to that, probably about six months to a year earlier, there was a dam that one of the spillways broke. And so that whole community evacuated. So I was right before the campfire, then the campfire, and then people having to like settle and stuff. And then right after the campfire, almost a year and a half later, COVID hit. So I feel like our church has really had to just grapple with some really big trauma. And I think the way in which we have handled it has been helpful for me and just moving forward and looking at what it looks like to care for people with trauma. 
and we held a kids camp the week after the fire so that parents could drop off their kids and then go deal with housing and getting their paperwork that they Mm -hmm. lost in the fire and clothes and cars and whatever. And I think that was just like a really big thing that we did that we just really cared for people. And we also, instead of just insulating ourselves and being like, we're going to be the church that cares. We were like, we need everybody's help. Like everybody in the community, everybody in Foursquare, we got gift cards, like thousands and thousands of dollars of gift cards from surrounding churches and from our Foursquare disaster relief team. And I think just remembering that we're not in this alone and like we can help people with trauma by gathering together and as a community, just like loving and caring. When I worked at the kids camp, I literally had like hundreds of dollars of Target gift cards in my pocket. And if someone was like, hey, they dropped off their kid and I just felt the Lord saying like, give them a gift card. I would just chase them down and hand them a gift card. And I think that's just the way that we love those people well. So. Oh, Andy, that's so beautiful. That's, that's just a, a beautiful practical way. And you know, it's cool. Bruce Perry, who is one of the leading neuroscientists around adverse childhood experiences. I mean, he does so much work around healing and community and healing with relationship. And it sounds like you guys responded in a way that really provided those children who were in this really unpredictable situation, a safe and predictable setting so that their parents could go grieve and process and do the work that was needed to be done. And those Mm -hmm. kids could be kids. And yes, what a gift for those children and for those moms and dads who I'm sure were in such shock in that moment, you know. And it was so fun. The kids had so much fun. But they did. And that's, we know that positive childhood experiences help offset adverse childhood experiences. And so that gift you gave those kids really, and their families was also an offsetting something really hard that they went through. Well, we're almost at the end of our interview. Thank you for that beautiful story. I love hearing the Holy Spirit tell you to chase people down. Those are my favorite moments. Give that lady a gift card. What is a promise? This is our our final question for each interview. What is a promise you hold on to for yourself and that you hope to share with those who encounter and embrace your work as a writer and a pastor? I think it's what we talked about before when you mentioned Psalm 139, just that God has a plan for us and he made us the way we are. So I think even if we maybe don't like parts of ourselves or there's things that we're like, I wish that had never happened, that God will use it for good. Cause that's, I mean, his plans are only good and they're only for our good. So even though they suck sometimes <laughs> and they're not something that God would ever ordain to happen, he's going to use it for his good. So yeah, that's a promise that I lean on all the time. Me too. I love that promise. It's, it's definitely one of my go-tos for sure. Oh, Andy, thank you. Your beautiful spirit will shine through in this. And I'm just so grateful (laughs) for our friendship and for our writing group. And I am excited for the world to hear more of your voice. You're awesome. Well, thank you for having me. Thank you again to Andi for joining me on the podcast to share her story and her ministry that is changing lives one little yes at a time. 
You can find Andi and more of her writing on her website, abideandwrite.com, on her Instagram handle at abideandwrite, or on Facebook at abideandwrite. That's A-B-I-D-E-A-N-D-W-R-I-T-E. Find those links in the show notes as well. I also want to say thank you to my family for supporting my dreams and letting me spend time in this work instead of folding laundry. 8,000 Promises is an original podcast produced and published by me, A.D. Tilford. If you feel so led, please give the podcast a rating and recommend it to a friend. Maybe even hit the subscribe button. Make great things happen for you today.